37th parallel on America's haunted highway, it's Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another wonderful, exciting episode of Pixelated Paranormal. I, of course, am Sean, and check it out, I brought back the tank top. That's right, folks. Fuck yeah, somebody's fucking swole! And with me, as always, is Preston. (laughs) (laughs) What's what's up, all you cool ghosts and goblins, you crocodunes and crocodingos, you skeletors and skeletons, witchers and witches and... I don't know, whatever the fuck else you want to be, we don't fucking care. We're just glad to have you along for the ride. Ha-cha-cha. That's right, man. Sounds like audio's coming in pretty good. I'm going to be a little more skittish on this episode, because last time we just ate a giant bowl of poopa, and uh, I lost my entire audio recording and everything. The call got dropped. My computer tried to basically update itself in the middle of recording, and it was just the absolute worst, so... So we almost didn't record tonight. The last couple of weeks, I've noticed that uh, the streams have been very choppy. And when I'm uploading and downloading files of various things, like the uh, internet has slowed down a little bit. And I got back from vacation with the wife and uh, my mother was not happy. Oh, um, she was just like, I, I don't know what the fuck is going on with this TV, <laughs> but I can't watch any of my shows on YouTube. And I'm like, well, I just got back into town. Let me go ahead and uh, l- let's get to the bottom of this mystery. Gang. <laughs> and the ra- the router would turn on and I would get service for a little bit. I'm like, dude, it's uh-huh. fucking fine. And then like. Well, the, I don't, I, I don't, something's wrong with the TV there because it's just, you see that, the little circle, it's just going round and round. It shouldn't be doing <laughs> that. Thing. I don't understand yeah. what's going on. I'm like, mom, I, I don't, I just got home. Like, let's, let's, let's simmer down a little bit. Let's uh-huh. figure this out. And then the next night uh, or the next morning, I woke up, internet completely fucking gone. And uh, so I called the internet company and they're like, I don't know. We may or may not be out. And the outside, the outside box that uh, has uh, all the wiring that goes into the house so it connects the satellite dish. Yes, uh-huh. we are so far out in the fucking boonies, folks. I have satellite internet. I don't have traditional Cox or AT. You know, fuck you, wired people. We're doing it old school over here. And the box that's on the outside of the house had got a uh, was building up moisture, mm. and over time, it's been slowing stuff down. Well, while we're on vacation. It was raining like fucking cats and dogs, and I guess it got a lot more water in it, and it basically just fried everything. And uh, so when I check my connection now, babe, dude, those speeds are top fucking notch. So this stream should just be lit tonight. <laughs> dude, it's going to be yeah. super hot, if nothing else, because I'm getting requests to stretch really big like I'm yawning. So I think that's dude, what they, the people want to see. <laughs> they want to see those man titties. I guess. They want to see those man titties. Hell yeah. Well, at the top, let's just say what's up to our buddy Lazarus. We see Fire Pixie, hello, and also Captain Scott's in the house as well. So, boom shakalaka. I'm going to jump off chat here because I'm doing the heavy lifting on this episode. Uh, so I'll take over for chat. I got uh, I got Restream up on the side, so I'm... Uh, uh, 
I'm seeing everything in there. So yeah, holy shit! For the eighth year uh, in in business here, we're actually gonna try a little harder. <laughs> um, I have rewritten this actual episode because last time, my God, I think Lazarus said it sounded like I was having a stroke trying to read everything, and it was a word salad. That's for sure. Because I just copy and pasted a bunch of stuff into our doc as opposed to actually, you know, reading it and rewriting it. So this should be a lot uh, more flowing and softer and wafting in the wind. But um, it's our second attempt at recording episode 299, so the last recording doesn't count. And real quick, don't forget, y'all, next episode. We're live streaming in two days on Sunday. So Sunday, Sunday, Sunday at 5 p.m. on the YouTube channel, we'll be live streaming big number 300 just in time for Halloween. We got demons. We got ghost stories. We got Mothman sightings. We have, uh, you know, basically my brother-in-law and I, uh, we were supposed to be going to bed the first night that we met up, but we didn't. We sat <laughs> by the, the fireside, cracked open some beers. And God damn it, I should have had like, I, I should have had like a, a mobile podcast set up because mm-hmm. literally our conversation would have been a fucking stellar a plus plus podcast episode. We had deep conversations about life, the universe, everything, Bigfoot, sexual ghost encounters, mushroom, Ooh. psychedelics, uh, <laughs> past life experiences, and I'm just like, fuck me, god damn it. So you know, on an iPhone, you have that little voice memo. Shut I'm up! Sure I don't want to hear it. I know voice memo app. Yeah, uh, just yeah. hit that shit and just hit record, baby. That's what I do to half the concerts I go to. And a bunch of uh, horror movie actor Q&As at this last horror convention. I just bootlegged everything. But alas and alack. We'll be sharing your guys' stories like Preston said. We also have horses. We have aliens. uh, A lot of really wild stuff. A little DMT action mixed in there as well. So uh, we're super stoked. Super, super duper excited. And on this episode, just like last time, there's no news to share because we've shared enough of that shit throughout the entire month of October. This was supposed to be spooky season, damn it. So we brought some fun stuff to share with y'all instead. So instead of a little bit of news, Preston, why don't we jump into here and share a couple things we've been watching real quick. Anything you want to recommend to the people? Anything you've been enjoying lately? Yes, I've been watching like that, those fucking like bootleg episodes, like the really bad quality (laughs) versions of... uh, the uh, Tales from the Crypt, um, mm-hmm. and they were like early, uh, late 80s, early 90s HBO, so you just got the right amount of like titties and gratuity. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's just really good, like cheesy, like B-horror, and the Crypt Keeper and his little one-offs, like, you know, yeah. he introduces the episode, comes in, has some really good one-liners, he comes back at the end of the episode, has some really good one-liners, and... Uh, I'm a little jealous because I'm like, I got to step up my crypt keeping game <laughs> and uh, come up with some better one liners. So, and then uh, the Hellraiser on Hulu, the new Hellraiser, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. that is a phenomenal movie. Um, they, you know, everybody, I, like the, the new Exorcist, I heard is complete dog shit. Eh, and I'll still watch it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'll give it a whirl, but uh, what the 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 direction that they went on the new Hellraiser and the fact that it is a female demon that can give you <laughs> pleasure and pain, mm-hmm. like that is a winning combination right there. I'm like, hell yeah, ain't that the rule the way? <laughs> Fuck yeah, dude. I um, 
Speaking, Take me, Satan. Take me. <laughs> Speaking of Hulu, I think that's where you can watch the new Hellraiser. Uh, we just watched The Boogeyman, which is a newer horror film that came out uh, a couple months ago. Pretty solid little flick and some pretty great creature feature. Most definitely. It uh, looks yeah. like uh, the brother-in-law is over on Facebook watching us, and he said he watched nice. uh, watched uh, it w- the uh, whatever movie I was talking about, the, the new Exorcist, and he said, yeah, it's not that great. <laughs> I, I hope heard, that's the one uh, he's talking about because if he says, "Yeah, I watched the new Hellraiser and it's dog shit," <laughs> my feelings are going to be crushed. I'm Yikers! Cry hey, on the to inside. each their own. To each their own, man. Uh, okay, quick, yeah, it was The Exorcist. So, <laughs> real quick on Hulu, we've also been watching a shit ton of Celebrity Jeopardy because my wife and I love Celebrity Jeopardy because <clears throat> the questions I think are a little easier and we feel a hell of a lot smarter. She's incredibly smart anyway, but. Um, Anyway, um, on to Netflix real quick. The Fall of the House of Usher is pretty fucking great. It is a uh, Edgar Allan Poe-centric show with super-duper grory practical effects. Grory? Gory practical effects. It's fucking awesome. We've gone through two episodes of that. Oh, yeah. Undoubtedly. (laughs) And then um, also, we talked about it last time, The Devil on Trial is a documentary about the real story behind The Conjuring's fourth film, The Devil Made Me Do It, uh, where it talks about the kid who gets possessed and potentially um, another person, I won't ruin it for you, who gets possessed as well. But uh, you said what now? The Ritual. Yes, The Ritual on Netflix is a fucking awesome horror movie for anybody who has not seen that. It's a a real pleaser and a real nice surprise. So definitely check that one out. And uh, Castlevania got a brand new season, brand new series uh, on Netflix as well. So I I started that and, Mm -hmm. you know, the first three seasons of Castlevania, like my inner childhood came to life. I'm like, fuck, yeah. Uh, the second season, I got like two, three episodes in, and I don't know if they changed animators or not, but the one thing I noticed that I didn't notice on the first one is on the second one is sometimes like the animation of the mouth, I think they got a little mm-hmm, lazy. Mm-hmm. So they're like doing that like uh, when they dubbed the, like a Chinese movie and in English, and so they're like, you know, oh, you shall die, and the guy's lips are still moving because he's speaking another language. Like, if you watch closely, a lot of that animation, like, they're talking, but the mouths are, like, moving at a different rate, like they're speaking another language. I'm like, did you guys fucking dub this, or did you just get (laughs) lazy on the animations? Because I'm not digging that. But story-wise, I mean, I am enjoying the story. I'm just, you know, I'm nitpicking, but... Hell yeah. Well, if you couldn't tell, Show tonight is about broadcasts and movie premieres gone awry. So first up, in order to set the tone here, we have to mention the infamous 1938 broadcast of War of the Worlds. And if you're not familiar here, we'll give you the spark notes. Orson Welles told the story of H.G. Wells, no relation, story of War of the Worlds back on October 30th, 1938. And the little episodic adventure begins with an introductory monologue based closely on the openings of the original novel written by H.G. Wells. We know now that in early years of 20th century, this world was being watched closely by intelligences greater than man and yet mortal to his own. We know now that as human beings busied themselves about their various concerns, they were scrutinized and studied perhaps almost as narrowly as a man with a microscope might scrutinize a transient creature's swarm and multiply in a drop of water. And so on and so on and blah, blah, blah. 
But then this radio show then takes an unusual format of an evening of typical musical radio programming. Common for the time. Just nice little orchestral music filling your chamber, your living room, whatever. You just finished mom's pot roast. And then suddenly it was interrupted by news bulletins. The first news bulletin interrupts the program of live music with a relatively calm claim, but they share what sounds like to unsuspecting listeners real reports of unusual explosions being seen on Mars. Then a little more music, and then another news bulletin cuts in that follows the unrelated reports of an unknown object falling onto a farm in Grover's Mill, New Jersey. Shortly after this, the crisis then escalates dramatically when a correspondent reports live from Grover's Mill describing creatures emerging from what evidently was an alien spacecraft that crashed. Then, of course, a mass chaos ensues, and we all kind of know what happened there. Many people go on to believe a full-blown alien invasion took place in the streets outside their very homes. Listeners had support, uh, supposedly become so infused with terror that some were said to have leapt from windows and others suffered nervous breakdowns. Boy, oh boy, it was fantastic. So folks, Google that because it's actually a really fun story of how this guy just tried to share, you know, a little uh, radio teledrama over the airwaves and caused a lot of mass hysteria. So I brought up this idea years ago and you didn't jump on it. So Mm -hmm. it's either A, you just, you don't want to commit because it's going to be like a big project or you're just like, dude, that's fucking dumb. I don't want to do it. But I thought that we should go back and basically do War of the Worlds, right? Redo the radio drama, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. in like modern times. So it's like, there's a goddamn alien out on my front porch, Jerry. <laughs> and like, just <laughs> ham it up for like, you know, yeah. commit to like two weeks, add in like sound effects. We'll do all the fucking redneck voices that we love doing and some really bad like Italian mm-hmm. voices that I, I think I'm a rock star at. And then just fucking stream that. And uh, I, I just think that would be neat to kind of do a modern rendition of uh, mm-hmm, War of the Worlds. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I even think... though you would even though you wouldn't get the same response uh, mm-hmm. because, uh, you know, it, it's in different times. But mm-hmm. just to pay homage to that early radio, yeah. early folklore, the, you know, because, you know, when we. In the later years of us doing podcasts, we started redoing, like, kind of like the dramatization of, like, eyewitness accounts, right? And I really, <laughs> right. I really enjoy that. So, fuck it. Let's get, let's do it, dude. Like, let's, that should be our next Halloween special next year. Like, we I think so. It on, we just release it on Halloween. Fuck, fuck you guys. <laughs> you don't get any stories. What you get is a really cool modern rendition of War of the Worlds. Take it or leave it. I gotcha, I gotcha. Okay, so I have a different screen memory. I have just a screen memory that um, we wanted to do... Or maybe it was Rob that's like, fuck you guys, I ain't gonna fucking do that. Because we're like, Rob, we can get you to do a voice. (laughs) Fuck no. I fucking... I retire from fucking podcasts, motherfuckers. I, I want to say that we talked about it and we were going to actually just re-record the entire thing because War of the Worlds is now public domain. So I downloaded the script and it's in one of our Google Docs. I just thought we ran out of time because I'm all about it, dude. I wanted to get you and I and Rob and um, Shayla and Jeffrey and just have random listeners, you know, just email us. We'll send you a couple lines for some, uh, you know, some of the parts and just collab and do this big production, which I still want to fucking do. So... 
we're on we're in the same book, it's not on the same page, oh, okay. but we're definitely in the same chapter. <laughs> right. We're so in the we, same we gotta do that shit. Yeah, we gotta do that, man. Yeah. And I'd even be saying maybe maybe let's do it even before Halloween and if it goes off swimmingly, then we could write some kind of original, you know, half hour, forty five minute, you know, uh radio story that we then share on Halloween. I'm into whatever, dude. It's been eight years, but I mean I feel like we're still just baby infants, you know, two chimps with a couple of hammers and we're just kind of figuring it out, so I like it. Yes, Albert, you can be in Bread Hill Billy number two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, we can get Fire Pixie and Lazarus and uh, Captain Scott and everybody, Deborah, Jeremy, all of them, man. It'd be a lot of fun. I might even see if I can get rope uh, Mark into it and see if they want to help us out too, man. That'd be a lot of fun. I'm into it. I'm down. Um, it's public domain, so we can't be copywritten. We can't be taken off Spotify <laughs> like that one time we right. had copywritten music. But we can, cha- like I said, like we'll do a modern a modern rendition. You sure. know, to be close enough. So. Fuck yeah, dude. Yeah, we could take that script, just chop it up between the two of us, and then just uh, modernize the crap out of it. So, fuck yeah. Well, speaking of broadcasts that went awry... We have two really fun stories prepared for you guys. First up, the horrifying and hilarious tale of the Halloween hoax brought on by none other than the British Broadcast Channel. And then to round things out, the second half of the show, we're going to talk about London After Midnight, a long-forgotten and thought-to-be lost 1920s horror film that actually inspired a real-life murder. So to kick things off, how about a hoax that truly gave Orson Welles a run for his money? Back in 1988, a screenwriter named Stephen Volk pitched an idea to the BBC for a six-part series focusing on a roving paranormal investigation crew as they investigated the claims of a family known as the Early Family who lived in a haunted house and they were being terrorized by the actions of a ghostly apparition they called Pipes. And then for the climax of the series he pitched, they could then broadcast a faux live tour of the supposedly haunted house, complete with practical effects and a full cast of actors who would all be in on the joke. But contrary to all of our utter delight and wishes, the BBC wasn't that enthused about devoting the amount of time needed to dedicate to his full idea of a six-part docu-hoax, not to mention the amount of money it would cost them. So instead, they counterpitched one single episode, a special that would be condensed down to the last episode's idea of a full-fledged broadcast haunted house extravaganza the channel could then air as its Halloween special. So to Volk, it represented an opportunity to explore what he felt like was a contrast of the relative comfort of home television broadcast versus going to a theater to see a horror film. Stephen believed that people went to a theater specifically to see a horror movie knowing what to expect and consisting on being scared. But television was more intimate and less predictable. Viewers who tuned in, possibly even anticipating a spoof or anticlimactic tongue-in-cheek exploitation, could be in for a mighty surprise, a rather spooky and not-so-pleasant surprise at that. So to add to the program's credibility, Volk and his director, Leslie Manning, structured it so four well-known BBC television personalities would be involved in the program, two of them being set up in the haunted house, Sarah Green and Craig Charles, while another, Michael Parkinson, a highly regarded broadcaster, would act as a news anchor reporting live from a remote studio. 
And here's what's funny. Both Craig Charles and Sarah Green frequently popped up on the BBC children's programming series, which would prove to be an unexpected lure for children to be accidentally drawn into the broadcast. In a testament to Volk's commitment, he also tried to petition the BBC to allow him to try and insert high-pitched warbling noises into the live soundtrack that would which hopefully only be audible to animals near televisions in further hopes of inducing strange or bizarre behavior from people's pets while they watch the broadcast, <laughs> just to try to unsettle viewers even more. But this proved to be technically impossible to do. Now, various ideas were batted back and forth to reinforce the inclusion of a possible disclaimer to be aired before the special. But during meetings between actors and crew and BBC executives, nothing really came to fruition other than the basic idea for a little title card to flash up on the screen before the show, which would get started, to say who wrote and directed the Halloween special. This is because most executives believe that it would be enough for most people to understand this isn't real and it's just being billed as a non-fiction transmission anyway. So, we fast forward about four years, and on October 31st, 1992, from Norholt, North London, the BBC Halloween special Ghost Watch aired and audiences were both confused and terrified, believing that they were witnessing real-life documented evidence of a benevolent spirit. While the show began, a title card did show up, indicating the following special was written by Stephen Volk, setting the tone for the entire show being a spoof, but the graphic was on screen for just a split second before disappearing, not even nearly enough time for anyone watching at home to realize anything came on, so most people didn't even notice the disclaimer at all, let alone read it and comprehend what was going on. And people somehow looked right past the fact that some of the actors and correspondents were actually well-known news celebrities. And so for 90 minutes, the show took its sweet time, showing only fleeting glimpses into the early family's haunting experiences, purposefully leaving details and specifics about their haunted house more than ambiguous. For the main story of the broadcast, actors portrayed the members of the early family as the single mother named Pam, and two daughters, Suzanne and Kim. And they all shared their own instances of strange activity in their home, including rattling noises, mysterious cat sounds, and smashing dishes. Suzanne would even go on to show the viewers at home odd scratches on her face, which she claimed would be the work of Pipes, the spirit who refused to leave their house. And in the show's second half, things took a real turn. See, before the special had aired... They recorded a series of fake phone calls being answered by Parkinson, the guy who was posing as the news correspondent that they were watching. They were supposedly inviting audiences to call and discuss their own paranormal experiences with Parkinson, and then people could call in with additional facts about the haunted property itself. So viewers at home got to hear a person call in to say that someone had once committed suicide in the home, and they'd also discovered a series of mutilated dogs' corpses recently on the property. All of this information was then shared with the early family's children, who on screen were then depicted as increasingly upset over the home's disturbances and the correlation to possible mutilated animals and a suicide. Around an hour into the show, 
Parkinson advised viewers that they'd now be witnessing extraordinary events taking place in real time, which included the Mother Suzanne, who would be speaking in baritone voices, and an unseen cat meowing from behind the walls. And then, ultimately, one of the fake correspondents would then disappear into a crawl space under the home stairs, while a paranormal expert would then proclaim the television audience had actually, unknowingly to them, participated in a mass seance that had further pissed off and empowered the ghost known as Pipes. At the end of the show, Parkinson, who was reporting remotely from a news station, was then seen being apparently possessed by the ghost's spirit. Now, the finale laid it on a little thick, but not everybody had even made it that far in. By the time Ghost Watch signed off, a significant portion of the show's 11 million viewers were either convinced that ghosts were real, extremely upset at the BBC for traumatizing their children, or both. As an epilogue to the Halloween special, the BBC had five live phone operators standing by with actual live phones once the special went off the air, which were all quickly overran by thousands of calls from concerned viewers flooding in in response to what they had just witnessed on broadcast television. One woman went on to say that she went into labor early due to the stress caused by watching the program. Another caller phoned in to say her husband had shit his pants. Yeah. Within hours. <laughs> within hours. To what they realized may have been one gigantic mistake. The BBC had then aired a brief segment that reminded viewers the show they had just watched was fictional. But by now it was just a little bit too late. Viewers grew so disturbed by the content the network became embroiled in a controversy over what audiences felt was a purposeful ruse perpetrated by a trustworthy news source. And then, cases of post-traumatic stress disorder in children were even reported to the British Medical Journal. What the BBC had intended to be nothing more than a scary and effective horror movie spoof ended up petrifying an entire country and would eventually lead the accusations that it was responsible for someone's death. Public discourse, including BBC's own viewer feedback show Bite Back, criticized the station for using its reputation to fool its viewers into thinking harm had come to a real-life early family and the hosts. Green quickly appeared on a children's show, reassuring young viewers that she had not been abducted or murdered by the ghost called Pipes. Volk and Manning offered their own apologies, feeling that the BBC considered them pariahs. They had simply wanted to pay homage to Wells, never imagining the program would have the effects that it did. In a report published later in the British Medical Journal 18 months after, doctors in Coventry reported cases they classified as post-traumatic stress disorder from consumption of media, and in this case, being Ghost Watch. Two 10-year-old boys were suffering from panic attacks and sleep disturbances as a result of the broadcast, and when the piece appeared the journal received correspondence from other doctors relating similar cases. And just as I'd mentioned earlier, one of the worst possible outcomes and offsprings of this Halloween special was when an 18-year-old named Martin Denham, who suffered from learning disabilities, became so distraught in the days following the broadcast, he began to grow concerned that he himself might actually somehow make contact with ghosts as well, and sadly it said that he had committed suicide. His parents, Percy and April, blamed Ghost Watch, leading the Broadcast Standard Council to rule the show had been improperly labeled 
with too few warnings that it was actually a fictitious premise. After more than 20,000 phone calls, one induced labor, and thousands of angry letters, the UK's Broadcasting Standards Council convened for a hearing, and on June 27, 1995, they ruled that the producers of Ghostwatch, the BBC program that aired on Halloween night less than three years earlier, had deliberately set out to cultivate a sense of menace. And the BBC had been found to be complicit on scaring 11 million people absolutely senseless. So this, like, this reminds me a couple years ago, your memory's better than mine, so you could probably tell me the name of that fucking piece of shit Netflix show that got me excited, got you excited, because I remember us talking about it. And, you know, they start off... And they're retelling, like, ghost stories, and, you know, they mm-hmm. do the whole dramatization thing. And you get, like, the third episode in, fourth episode in, you have this grandson who's talking about how, like, he inherited uh, this old farmhouse after his grandfather passed away. Mm-hmm. And, like, all this weird shit start happening. And then, like, they go to the basement, and they find jars of body parts. And, like, his grandfather basically murdered, like, all of these hitchhikers. And his mom knew about it, and, like, there's, like, devils, satanic symbols scribbled all over the walls. And you're like, holy fuck, we just uncovered, like, this, you know, mass murderer that nobody knew about, and everybody's getting all excited. And, oh, and, like, the, yeah. The, the police are getting all these calls, and so Netflix is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Sorry, guys, I guess we <laughs> should have told you. Whoopsies. <laughs> That uh, this show is a platform for up-and-coming writers. It's all bullshit. Uh, our bad. I'm like, dude, fuck you guys. Like, I was so into that episode, like, because I'm a believer. I Like, I'm the Fox Mulder when it comes to paranormal. So, like, every single one of those shows prior to that, I'm like, oh, fuck yeah, look at this. And then we get to this one. I'm like, oh, fuck yeah. And then, no, you fucking pulled the wool over my eyes, you piece of shit Netflix <laughs> Executives like God, damn it! Uh, uh, yes. Here we are, twenty-something <laughs> years later, sixty years later, however many years since you know War of the Worlds, still fucking falling for it. Oh God man, God damn it! Yeah, boy, you got so upset that fucking clicking noise came back on your microphone. <laughs> yeah, oh, um, man. it's called Haunted. It was on uh, Netflix. Haunted. Yeah, yeah. Fuck we, you, we, Netflix. I, That's all. Yeah, I wasn't say. one of the stories. One of the stories is like the kids used to watch their dad like go downstairs all the time, and all the hitchhikers disappeared and shit like that. And yeah, yeah, yeah. and yep, yeah, I remember now. Yeah, yeah, I had to look it up, but yeah, it's called Haunted. God damn it! Uh, good shit, man. Well. The second half of our episode has to do with a really interesting movie called London After Midnight. I'm sorry, I should preface this. The first part of the story is real. On October 23rd, 1928, a man called Robert Williams was found by a policeman near Fountain Gate on the north side of Hyde Park. He was laying face down with a bleeding wound at his throat and a straight razor dropped beside him. Robert Williams, originally from North Wales and who had been out of work for some time, told the policeman who discovered him, I did it. She had been teasing me. And then he pointed off to a nearby lifeless body of a housemaid waitress named Julia Magnan, who lived in a nearby Stanhope Gardens. Two months later, Robert Williams spoke of that night at his trial at the Old Bailey. 
and he said that he and Miss Magnan had been friends, and that about 10 o'clock that evening, they were simply talking. And he said, I wanted to marry her, and so I told her so, and she didn't want to. He said the last thing he remembered, Julia was whistling, and then I felt as if my head were about to burst, and that steam had been coming out of both sides of my ears, and all sorts of things came to my mind, and I thought of a man who had me in a corner and was pulling faces at me. He threatened and shouted at me that he had me where he wanted me. At this point, the defense lawyer, Mr. Peregrine, said that the defendant said to the defendant, Do you remember whose face it was? To which Williams replied, Yes, sir. And presto, if you can pop that picture up here in a second. Williams went on to describe the hideous face of none other than Lon Chaney, as he had looked in the film London After Midnight, directed by Todd Browning and released just the previous year. And as you'll see here, this guy's face is very ghastly. He looks like some kind of ghoul or shark man or vampire, as he was portrayed in the film, with a big old top hat made of beaver, sunken in eyeballs, and just an otherwise dastardly look to him. Well, the story of the film goes, a man named Roger Belfer is the owner and head of a house on the outskirts of London. He's discovered to be dead by what initially appears to be a self-inflicted gunshot wound. But after five years, a Scotland Yard detective and amateur hypnotist Edward Burke has the unenviable task of reproducing the scene of the crime to somehow persuade the suspect into recreating a possible murder, thus giving up the ghost. Now, with several candidates as the person or persons available to be responsible for the murder, any of them could be the culprit. So Sir James Hamlin and his nephew Arthur Hibbets, which is Balfour's neighbor, and also Williams, Balfour's butler, were all viable suspects, and the only character not to be considered was Balfour's daughter, Lucille. Now, the man that supposedly taunted Robert Williams to commit these real-life murder, sorry, the real-life murder, was that of Lon Chaney, who played the role of Burke, but also the fiend known only as the man in the beaver hat. And like most of his characters, Chaney intentionally overacted, while the character of Burke, who was disguised as a vampire during the investigation, creeped out many filmgoers alike who watched the film. Now, although popular with audiences, London After Midnight opened to mixed reviews. Oliver Claxton in The New Yorker wrote, Directing, acting, and setting are all well up to the idea, but it strives too hard to create effect. Mr. Browning can create pictorial terrors, and Lon Chaney can get himself up in a completely repulsive manner but both their efforts are wasted when the story makes no sense. So Todd Browning's infamous film is now unfortunately lost, but the last copy being destroyed in the 1967 MGM Vault Fire of Culver City in California. Today, it's one of the most famous and eagerly sought-after films of all time. Back in 2014, an original poster for the film sold for nearly $500,000. But anyway... Robert William told the court that he had committed the murder during an epileptic fit after seeing a horrific version of Lon Chaney's character. If it was an excuse or a reason, either way, it almost worked, and the original jury was unable to reach a final verdict. And so she William broke was... my heart, so I choked her because she looked like Lon Chaney, <laughs> <a> vampire. <laughs> 
Williams was retrialed in January of 1929, where the Manchester Guardian reported under the headline, Actor Enough to Terrify Anyone, that the judge, Mr. Justice Humphreys, dealt Williams with a vision in his own, summing up, I do not know whether you have been to or seen any film in which he acted. One of them, we are told, is The Hunchback of Notre Dame, another one being London After Midnight. If any of you members of the jury have seen the latter or even the advertisements of what Mr. Lon Chaney looks like when he is acting in that film, you may agree it's enough to terrify anybody. It is a story of a haunted house, and Lon Chaney takes part of a person, really a detective, who pretends to be a most terrifying ghost. If the accused saw that film, you may not think it remarkable or as in any other way indicating insanity that he should be in a moment of emotional excitement. Remember the horrifying, terrible aspect of an actor in part, which he was purposefully being terrible. I can myself say nothing in the vision to suggest that the accused is an epileptic. And this time the jury, after being directed by perhaps a little more forcefully by Justice Humphreys, found Williams guilty. After the verdict was announced, the judge sentenced William to death by hanging. But two weeks later, however, the sentence was reprieved by the home security Sir William Johnson Hicks, who after reading the official medical reports that established William's insanity, he decided that the murderer should instead not be hung, but serve his time in a sentence at the Broadmoor Criminal Lunatic Asylum. Oh, they're always yeah. screwing us out of a good hanging. Good old-fashioned hanging. We just yeah. built these new gallows. Well, don't worry, someone did die. <clears throat> Again. A few months later, while filming Thunder, Lon Chaney developed pneumonia, but subsequently diagnosed with bronchial lung cancer instead. Chaney's condition soon worsened and was exacerbated after breathing in artificial snow, which was made out of cornflakes, which lodged in his throat and created a serious infection. Seven weeks after the release of his first and only talkie film, The Unholy Three, Chaney succumbed to a throat hemorrhage on August 26, 1930. May he rest in peace. And ever since then, fans have been scouring the world for an additional copy of the film. There are some fans who turn this search into something of an odyssey or an obsession. Back in 2002, a reconstructed version was broadcast on Turner Classic Movies, using the original script and production stills. And while this was not the vintage film that they craved, it was also better than nothing. Finding a bonafide copy of the original production has been something of a holy grail of lost movies and is easily the most famous title out of all those that are listed as lost films. And according to IMDb, though, and their sources, up to one dozen copies of the film were distributed to locations all over the world, so there could be as many as 12 copies floating around somewhere. But do you dare watch it, listeners? Do you dare watch it, viewers? Or you yourself might murder somebody. Speaking of hangings, uh, when uh, we were on our uh, honeymoon last year, Jeffrey and I were down in San Antonio, and we took mm -hmm. like one of those midnight ghost tours, and uh, one of the, the holiday inns, uh, they're in like downtown San Antonio. They retrofitted the old jailhouse. Ah, it's it a historic building, and they're like, we really can't do anything. Like, what can we do with it? And so there's a deal with the city that if uh, 
you as a as a um, you know hotel company you can come in as long as you don't change too much of the the structure internally like you mm-hmm. can retrofit the building and have yourself like a downtown you know because it brings like people in so there was a guy that he was on his way to San Antonio and he stopped off at like some little podunk town it was outside by the city well like drinking water and like somebody made fun of him and he mm-hmm. got all pissed off and so they got into like this you know fuck you fuck you and the guy like got out a knife and like basically Hannibal Lecter this dude's face Whoa. it was like wearing around the skin on the side of his head and he's like I sure showed that fucker I got my water and I got his face and so he kept moving south, and so eventually they picked him up right outside of San Antonio, and the, they convicted him of the murder. Well, they were gonna they were going to hang him at the jail, which was also mm-hmm. like the courthouse at the time, and uh, so they forgot. Like you know, a lot of the movies, like they put the sack over the head and then they tie the rope. The reason why they do that is uh, the sack acts as a buffering against the noose so it doesn't like decapitate you and it actually like pops the back of your spinal cord so that mm-hmm. you pass out and strangle to death well they forgot to put like i don't know they didn't have a sack they forgot the sack uh so they just put the rope over the guy's head and like boom pulled the lever and so when he dropped instead of like snapping his neck it basically tore his neck almost in half, and so his like half decapitated head was like leaning one way. Blood was squirting out all <laughs> over the place. Like all the people in the crowd got like hosed down with this guy's blood, and they're like, "Oh my god, this is the worst way to kill somebody. We will never hang anybody again." And then they eventually like shut down the jail. And uh, when the, the Holiday Inn took over and like retrofitted it, and they were going in like the basement, they actually found like a noose. Uh, with oh, wow. the blood with blood still on it, and they didn't. Know, they were just like, "Oh, this is cool." So they put it in the front of the hotel in a glass case, and then like when historians were coming by, uh, they're like, "Dude, you need to get that out of the fucking case. Like, this is like the last hanging this jail ever did." And they explained the story, and the hotel was like, "Oh, oops, my bad." <laughs> Whoopsie so, daisies. Whoopsie nuggets. Anything else to cover on this episode? I think we about did it. No, because we're gonna, dude. We're gonna have a banger on Sunday. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. let's let's not give too much taters, with, you know, with the meat. So. Well, I uh, certainly am excited for sure. So, um, if you guys see this, if you listen and you hear it just in time, um, you can still send your stories in. I'll wrap everything up by about uh, three p.m. on Sunday. But yeah, we got a handful of really good stories. Uh, almost two handfuls. I don't think we're gonna bleed it over into two episodes. We might just go one big, thick, long one. Yeah, uh, that's something that we hardly ever. That's hardly something we ever do anymore. Mm-hmm. We're like, oh, we're approaching an hour and fifty minutes, dude. If you really love the content, you'll fucking stick around and listen to the full one hour and fifty minutes. Like, I hate when I I, I listen to a podcast or whatever, and they have like this huge topic. And then they just get, like, right into the good stuff. And they're like, all right, we'll catch you next time. No, fuck you. Uh, I want to hear it, and I want to hear it now. So, <laughs> Right. Fuck. Yeah, let's shoot for two hours. Why not? Why not? All right. Go big or go, go, big or go home. And I don't know. Do you have, <laughs> like, uh, do you have like any smaller tank tops, like the straps up top? Do you have any? Um, like I could. More, a little more do swole you, that you can wear? You, you want know? me to go? You want me to go a little thinner next time? I might be able to do that. Oh, I might be able to yeah. make you happy. Mm-hmm. Maybe like yeah. a fishnet one, like uh, 
Sean uh, Aston's character off Fifty First Dates. Like, I'll see what I can find. God, I forgot about that yeah. movie. What a fucking <laughs> are those Reese's cups? <laughs> Jesus. I'll Speaking of stuff you should watch. <laughs> well, we want to thank everybody for watching and for listening to this episode, especially all of those of you who watched live. Uh, Captain Scott, Fire Pixie, Lazarus, Bruce, Bruce, Matt, and everybody else. We appreciate you guys. We really are thankful for you guys and your patronage and your viewership and everything else. Um, I do want to also kind of celebrate this a little early. I was going to share it on Halloween, but why not just share it now? I'll repeat it again. On Instagram, we hit 1,033 followers before Halloween. So I am a happy papa. I'm thrilled. I'm chuffed. I'm stoked. Uh, good stuff. We're very thankful for everybody who's following new listeners, new watchers, new subscribers. It's good stuff. I really appreciate all of you guys, and we're so thankful. If you guys want to support us, you can follow us on Instagram. Add to those numbers. We are at PXL Paranormal. If you're on Facebook, you can follow and watch us live when we record these things. We are the Pixelated Paranormal Podcast. We've got a Twitter. Don't use it. Uh, there's Blue Sky. I'm not sure I actually have two accounts at the same phone, so we don't have one of those set up. But yeah, you know, Facebook, Instagram, those are two really great avenues. Presto, talk to me about these live streams, baby. So we got uh, Rumble, we got Kick for YouTube, Facebook Live. Uh, YouTube, I, th I think we're up to 279 subscribers. Uh, so uh, Captain 282, Scott 282, sorry. 282, oh, shit. So mm -hmm. we, gra we, we got a couple more. Anyways, Captain Scott said that he liked the little green cum bubble down at the bottom and reminded him of a Nickelodeon, <laughs> you know. Yeah, the gack, it's yeah. like yeah. the gack. And uh, so if, uh, it, you know... Make sure you reminiscent of your childhood. I don't know. Follow the fucking directions at the bottom of the screen. Hit like and subscribe. Share with all your friends. And uh, oh, yeah. since you didn't get to hear uh, my very special Dobbs last time, I'm gonna I'm gonna mm -hmm. go ahead. I'm gonna this is this is two ninety nine redo anyways. Oh. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and redo my special one that I wrote for you and Dobbs. Anyways, need a beard. Want a beard. Want to grow the best damn beard possible? Ladies and gentlemen, have you ever found yourself in a dark room watching a spine-chilling horror movie and thinking, I wish my beard smelled as captivating as the suspense on screen? Well, fear not. We have just the solution for you. Introducing Big Dobbs Beard Bomb and the irresistible Bay Rum Scent. It's actually what I have in my beard right now. Mm. Picture this. You're sitting on the edge of your seat engrossed in a terrifying vampire flick. <gasps> Suddenly, a mysterious figure appears on screens. Don't worry about taking on a bloodlusting vampire. Instead, arouse his undead member with the alluring scent of bay rum <laughs> and turn that movie night into a Netflix and chill night. Big Dobbs beard bombs uh, seducing even the most elusive creatures of the night. Crafted with the utmost care and a dash of humor, Big Dob's Beard Bomb is the secret weapon for any man looking to tame his facial hair and captivate the attention of vampires and mortal alike. Our Bay Rum scent is a tantalizing blend of exotic spices and Caribbean flair, guaranteed to make your beard the star of any spooky encounter. But be warned, gentlemen, with great beard power comes great responsibility. Big Dob's Bay Rum Scented Beard Bomb may cause vampires to swoon, werewolves to howl, and witches to cast spells of admiration. 
So whether, whether you're battling the forces of a darkness or simply want to turn heads with your bewitching beard, Big Dobbs Beard Balm Bay Rum Scent is your ticket to supernatural success. Use promo code PXLPARA for 20% off your order. Get it all. Get it at Dobbs. <laughs> my God. We need to yeah. be paid for that. That was professional, yeah. my friend. Alan, um, Alan, if you're hearing that, I hope your dick is hard because I did that for you, buddy. <laughs> um, that's truly good stuff, man. So chat's going wild right now. First of all, uh, Lazarus, no, we have not done Sheep Squatch yet, I don't think. But uh, if we have, he still deserves his own episode. We did a couple little cryptid encounters where we talked about two or three, you know, bipedal creatures and one, um, you know, lashing there. So we should probably definitely get to that for sure. Um, other things worth mentioning here uh, real quick, especially Dobbs, when you're listening, you know, pay attention. Fire Pixie wants to know if it would make one magnificent bush. Lazarus <laughs> wants to know if it could be used on back hair. I think you could do things with both of those two in Big Dobbs Beard Balm. Or beard wax, you know, I don't know. I think it would work for both of them. I like to say do it for science and just see what would happen, you know? Yeah. <laughs> if you're in the Wichita area, please stop by, see our friends, Paranormal Experience, the food truck, and also Paranormal.cafe, and also on uh, Pawnee and Seneca, stop by and see Leslie and the rest of our friends over at CD Trade Post, Pawnee, Seneca. Uh. Cool. Mm. With that, I'm going to raise this glass of Autumn Harvester Sour Ale brewed with brambleberry, cranberry, orange, marmalade, and cherries. And I have uh, 903's Puff Daddy. Mm-hmm. Let's just say cheers to the weird shit in the world and those of us who love to talk about it. And stay spooky and stay on the paranormal highway. The cast that pixelated paranormal would like to thank you for listening to this week's episode. Pixelated Paranormal is here to tell you tales of the fantastical, the strange, the unknown. Tales that will move you a little further down the paranormal highway. If you'd like to share your own listener story, we would love to hear it. Email us at pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. Again, that's pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. We'd really love to hear from you. Again, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Pixelated Paranormal your guide to the unusual and the strange.